Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back to the studio John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture down at RBG in Cranbourne. Morning, John. Good morning, Pam. How are you going? Um, yes. All right. A bit nippy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Trying to warm up. It's good, though. It's, I mean, we've we had such an unseasonally warm um, autumn. Mm. That's right. Um, but someone flicked the thermostat last week and it's been cool <laughs> and wet. It, it all of a sudden went, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had some really good rain during the week down at um, in the southeast Growth Corridor down at Cranbourne. We good. Some, yeah, yeah, some really, really good rain. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, well, I've been hearing very conflicting forecasts for this winter. Um, about It was only about a week ago they were predicting we were going to have a very warm winter and now all of a sudden we're going to have a very wet winter. So I don't <coughs> think they quite know no, what's happening. No, no. It is um, – we, we know that the El Nino effect has been – well, it's finished. I think they've officially called it the El Nino yes. over, which would suggest that we would get a normal Melbourne wet, cool winter. Yep. Which would be nice. Be lovely. Yeah. Yes. I really like the, the – we were talking um, – uh, about the seasonality of, of, of Melbourne. We were, uh, on Sunday, oh, sorry, Friday, I was showing some people that come from Cairns, um, from the Cairns Botanic Gardens around the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. And basically it's either wet or hot and wet or hot and dry. Right. But it's always hot. Yes. Um, whereas we get such variation in, in climatic conditions in Melbourne. We, I mean, really, we do get proper seasons. Yep. And uh, it looks like we're going to get a proper winter, which would be Okay. Yep. I'm up for a proper winter. Good for the fruit trees. Good for the fruit trees. Yep. Good no, for good excellent. for good for um, gardens. You know, absolutely. rehydrate the soil. Yes. Do a bit of water banking. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's good good for the bush. The Cranbourne bushland. Um, it, this rain last week has been really good for the Cranbourne bushland. I mean, mm. it's been pretty dry and quite warm. Mm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> at the end of autumn, end of long, end of, end of summer, end of. In not before the autumn break, right? The cramping, the bushland looks a little tired. Okay. Um, so it's looking really good. Um, last week you can, you know, um, yeah, it's rehydrating. 
which is lovely. And just having all that dust settle. I, I mean, I live in an unmade road yeah, and okay. the dust over summer yeah. was horrendous. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Finally, it's all settled down. Yeah. Yep. Does your road turn to slush and mud? Yep. 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 <laughs> never so, mind. Never that's, mind. That's a different problem. Yeah, that's a, that is a different problem. So yep. consequently, you don't clean your car all that often. No. No. <laughs> it always shows. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. We have to say a very good morning to Virginia Haywood too. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. I have to say I'm loving the rain, although I have complained. I spent the whole day on Wednesday at the Botanic Gardens, Melbourne, and, oh, dear, I was cold. I was just... I couldn't get warm. Mm. But I, one of the things that's been really good this year are the mushrooms. Mm. Oh, yes, it's mm. been yeah. an exceptional fungi year. Fungi is fabulous. Yes. Yep. Everywhere you go. Yep. It's just lovely. Yep. Terrific. So I'm enjoying that. And Not, you've, you've got your guiding uniform on, so you're out of the gardens again today. Yes, yes, I'm doing a walk at half past ten. So if anybody's up for it, come in. Yep, it'll be... Um, it's... it's um, a special day across all botanic gardens today. So it's, but, yeah, and we're but, going to be talking a lot about that in a moment. But, yes, it's a very exciting day for all botanic gardens. Yeah. And um, we're going to be asking our listeners, too, to ring in with their favourite botanic garden that they like to go and visit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Because there are, we're, we're blessed with how many we've got right. spread, even just within driving distance of Melbourne. Particularly Victoria. Yes, Victoria's, Victoria's really just, got them. Yes. That's exactly Mine's right. Mine's Kirsten Bosch, but I don't think I'll get there today. No, I don't think you will either. Stellenbosch? No. No, no. <laughs> and talking Botanic Gardens, we've also got to say a big good morning to uh, Chloe Foster. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam. How are you going? Good. And you're part of the Friends Group down yes, at Cranbourne Botanic right. Gardens. We've got a busy day on today. We've got a planning day for our 2017 activities calendar. So oh. That'll that'll uh, give us more work to do for yeah. the next for the next 12 months. Yeah. Certainly so, will. So, and we, we were talking fungi, but um, you've got a big fungi day coming yeah. up. Yeah. Next Saturday, it's officially sold out, which um, is the second workshop this year that's sold out. Mm. So... Um, it's yeah, it's been really popular. We've got a fantastic uh, Tom May's coming to speak and a Wonderful. couple of other people. So yeah, it's going to be a really good day. And we're going to go on fungi foray through through the Australian Garden. I think out into the bushland as well. We, we were having a look in the bushland yesterday, and there's there's a lot of fungi yeah, around. Right. It's yeah. just you know popped up with the cool weather the last yes. couple of weeks, and and that little bit of rainfall and yep, it yeah. just, it just it's all tri- shining. It's got a Beautiful. Yeah, smooth surface. I, on its but own. I think this year there's more than normal. There's definitely more in my place. And, yeah. And and Greg, who comes on this program, he has had so much on Facebook. He walks all through the Macedon Ranges, and he's just had so many fungi. Really. Mm. On his on his page, it's, it's just extraordinary. And it doesn't take. You don't have to go very far to find lots of it. We were standing in one spot yesterday, and someone showed us. One of the rangers was showing us one, and then we looked about. 20 centimetres to the left and there was more different mm. fungi, mm. just some tiny little ones. And mm. it's very diverse in such a small such a small space. So we're going to get stuck into it next Saturday. It's very exciting. <laughs> and with, um, with, with that kind of genetic, uh, the capacity to now identify things through genetic sampling and DNA analysis, the diversity of fungi is like yeah. it's it's thousands and thousands and thousands of species Absolutely. that are about to be you know given a, yeah. a number. Yeah, We're not even giving them names anymore there's, because there's, they're just so so very there are many. so many. It is interesting, isn't it? Just how much we don't know. I mean, they've just discovered all those wonderful little spiders that are, are so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and 
you know, you walk through our gardens and there's all these plants. I mean, there's a tree just near our where we start at the visitor's centre that was only discovered, a eucalypt that was only discovered in the 90s, 1990s. Mm. I mean, there's so much we don't know. There is mm. so much. And yeah. we have this arrogance and think it's okay to go yeah. and knock things asunder. Well, yeah. Because we know everything. What's the eucalypt, Virginia? Is it one of the, the Porsiflora Gre- snow gum? Gregoriensis. Uh, oh, that's, yeah, oh. okay, so the Wogan mm. snow gum. Yeah, yeah. I th- it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You, you yes, would, you well, would... it's a, I mean, it's a fairly dull little tree, but I always show it to people. Yeah. Because, it's because... a nice little one. It's yeah. a smaller eucalypt, and, mm. you know, you, if you haven't got a massive block, then you can have a small eucalypt. And I think there's um, those those snow gums. They're, they're they're I mean they are true mallee forms, so yes. they're a really nice shape and size. Mm. And I adore mallee. Yeah. Mm. I think they're beautiful, mm. particularly the, the you know those large flowers are yeah. so mm. exciting. Yeah, they're spectacular. They are spectacular. Yeah. We've we've just with the support of the Dale Trust that the the Cranbourne Gardens done a trail through the Cranbourne Gardens, looking at um, small eucalypts for home gardens, and not surprisingly, there's a bunch of those which are. Mallee eucalypts, yes. mm. just because they're, yeah. they're the right size, shape, form. Yes, you know they've got some really nice ornamental attributes as, as well as being you know the, the right size. And Greg Soniana is actually on on that um, on that list. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've attempted uh, unsuccessfully, I think, in the first instance, to espalier eucalyptus Gregsoniana. Okay. Um, in uh, one of the small gardens, it's called the Greening Cities Garden. So it's one of the it's a garden, but the, the whole theme of the garden is about how do you green up small spaces like right. urban court, courtyards yes. and, you know, take advantage of, of parallel, you know, flat niches and walls and those types of things. Uh, I, I think Eucalyptus Gregsoniana will espalier really well, but I think we had them too tight, so we were just pruning them the whole time. Okay. And that was kind of exhausting the reserves and, yes. you know, starting to get some dieback and things like that. Right. So we're, st- we're going to persist with the, the, the trial. Try again. B- try again, but just space them out further so so there's more photosynthesis happening. Mm. Yep. And then not prune them all at the same time. Just to, yeah. So, but, no, you, but isn't that horticulture? You, yes. Oh, absolutely. You put things trial in the ground, error, you trial, right. yep, you, totally. you find out what works, what doesn't, and yep. you learn from your mistakes. Yep, yep. yep. And you, there's only been, if you look at the, um, if you go onto the, the internet to look up that tree, the only information on there is from the Botanic, botanic Gardens. Because nobody yep. knows anything about that area. Uh, there's been one scientific study. Where right. was it found? Up in the Territory. In the Territory? Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, okay, okay. I must be thinking of a different thing, maybe. Because the, 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 yeah. Well, I have You have to Google it. Have have to, yeah. I'm thinking of the Wolgan Snow Gum. Yeah, Are you I thinking am thinking of that yeah, one? Yes, yeah. I am, yeah. Yeah. Which would be. The Wolgan um, Snow Gum is a nice which, one. Which would be East Coast. Yes, uh, yeah. No, no, this is Gregoriensis. A Gregoriensis? Oh, and oh, it's, sorry. It's definitely from the Territory. Nice. And they took a tour up there in the. Mid nineties, which is when it was discovered, fantastic, and it was you know, a bunch of territory people and a bunch of RBG people. Because um, Gregoriana was also dis- well, it was it was split out of Porciflora. Yeah, so, so it was given. Who's this Greg person? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Gregoriensis. Because it's named after the national park it was founded. Lovely, as in the Gregory National Park. park yeah. yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Mm. Getting back to uh, the Botanic Gardens, though, John, today yes. is a very special day. Um, it's an open day across, well, virtually all the Botanic Gardens, um, and it's never been done before for some reason. No, isn't it interesting? We think that this is the, the first 
um, uh, national. It's certainly the first National Botanic Gardens Day in Australia, but it, we think it's the first time that it's happened anywhere in the world where a country's botanic gardens have all um, uh, celebrated um, just being there and right. you know, what what they do as a part of an open day. And New Zealand's part of it too, isn't uh, it? Absolutely. So this this okay. is this, this is coming out of. Begans, which is Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand. So it's the Begans inaugural Botanic Gardens Open Day, and 75 gardens across Australia and New Zealand are participating in in, in various ways um, with the with the Open Day uh, Open Day concept. Okay. Um, So the bunch of you know we talked about the diversity, the great diversity of Victorian regional botanic gardens, and you know I think I think I roll this out quite a lot when I come into the the 3CR studios. But by 1870, there were 20 regional botanic gardens in Victoria, and New South Wales had one, Queensland had one, Tasmania had one, Mm. Um, but there were 20 regional botanic gardens in Victoria. So for generations upon generation upon generation. Um, Victorians have been celebrating. Is it gold? Our, our, it was gold. Mm. Yeah, it was gold. So places like Castlemaine, um, Marnbury, Kyneton, mm. um, Bendigo, Ballarat, um, you know, all through the gold fields. Mm. Um, but also out to the west, Geelong, Colac, Camperdown, uh, Portland, Warrnambool. Mm. You know, all these botanic gardens that were developed in the in the um, the eighteen seventies. Mm. And I guess the first of those regional gardens was one that I that I worked at, which was the Geelong Botanic Gardens. And that's the fourth oldest botanic gardens in Australia, I think. Sydney, Hobart, Melbourne, and then Geelong. So the Geelong wow, is the first yeah. of those, those regional botanic gardens. And Geelong is such a lo- – I was there recently, and it is such a lovely garden. It's a lovely oh, garden. Oh, it and it, partly because it's so old, it's got some – Truly magnificent trees. The um, it, it's it, absolutely yeah. So you know, trees which are 100 and, you know, approaching 100, 160 years old. Um, the finest ginkgo that you would see of, of any garden anywhere in the world. I'd suggest mm. it's mm. it's just a remarkable, a remarkable garden. And the, the, I think the nice thing about the Geelong Gardens is is it's, it's the old heritage garden, and then the 21st century garden. So the contrast between the old and the new yes. is really quite. Um, it's spectacular. It's spectacular, yeah. And it's also coming in, now that the entrance is there, because it wasn't when I was young, um, coming in is so amazing because you've got the ocean or the sea. Exactly. So it's a re- it's, it's very beautiful. It's yes. very unique mm. yeah. with that view that it has. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So so what's happening in Melbourne today, Virginia? Well, you've, you've got a walk on. Yes, we've got a whole lot of where we've got a whole lot of us going. Oh, this isn't one of my normal walks. We've got special walks on, so because we're expecting a lot of people to come because of the publicity. Although the weather is not terribly clement. Is there such a word? You can just rug <laughs> up. Gardeners, gardeners. Well, there has rug to be up. a word of inclement. <laughs> rug up. It's Melbourne. We know it could be anything. It might be sunny at twelve o'clock. Well, I have to say, I have often taken a walk in the rain because. The people have turned up and they wanted to do it. Yes. Yeah. So off we go. Yep. I've done that at Cranbourne before as well. You just, yeah. you know, get an umbrella and keep going. Just go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, but I don't do the oak lawn. Keep away from the big trees. <laughs> so I'm just having a look at the Melbourne Gardens. Is the, are you doing the volcano walk or the garden discovery? I'm tour? doing discovery. Okay, so there's a garden, there's a volcano walk at 10:30. There's Virginia at 10:30 with the garden discovery, discovery. tour. Yep. At 11:30, there's the Long Island walk, and that's been repeated at two o'clock. And there's the lakeside stroll at 11:30, and that's repeated again at two o'clock. So a bunch of things happening at the Melbourne Gardens in terms of tours. At and the, of course, the, the volcano. Is just is again is one of those things because it's it's the last thing that we no I suppose no the Fern Gully's been redeveloped since but the volcano was completely 
fenced off and closed and abandoned. Well, people didn't even know it was <coughs> there. Yeah. No. They never went up into that corner of the garden. No, that's and right. And it's so beautiful now. And it, it is, is stunning. It is a fabulous place to mm. go. And, of course, being um, a dry weather garden, a lot of the stuff comes from hot areas, so a lot of it's in flower now. Mm. I mean, one of the things that when I take internationals through, they're stunned that so much is in flower at this time of year. But so many hot Climate yep. plants actually don't do their flowering in summer. They do it at a different mm. time, mm. often winter, now. Winter flowers. Mm. Yeah. And it's That's beautiful. right. There's a lot of Australian like plants that flower all in winter. The yeah, yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I just walked walk past a hake one street up and it was, and I just stopped in my tracks. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. You know. yeah, absolutely. What's happening down at Cranbourne today? Uh, we've got John is doing a tour. No, you're not. I thought you no, were. No, it must no. be. Uh, Trevor I Blake. You and Trevor were. No, just Trevor. Just Trevor. Yeah. One of the uh, garden ambassadors, Trevor Blake, who is renowned in many other aspects of horticulture. Certainly and He's is. been a teacher for many years as well. He's taking a tour at about... 11.30. 11.30. Yeah, I just... Yeah, yep. you just looked I at just it. Did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Trevor is one of the most fantastic tour guides uh, going around. He's just... He's so enthusiastic and he really knows his stuff and he know he's been doing it at, at Cranbourne for quite a while. Yep. He's been doing it for over 10 years yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the Australian Garden turned 10 yesterday. It did. It had its 10th, 10th birthday. Wow. So yeah. 10 years ago today there was um, lines of traffic down the South Gippsland Highway. 15,000 people were trying to get in. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Were you? <laughs> <laughs> I won't forget it. Yeah, so it's a big weekend and Trevor's, yeah, Trevor's taking the, the tour yep. this morning and there's, there's still room. So if people are listening and, and they want to pop down to Cranbourne and jump on the tour. Absolutely. Yep. They Brilliant. won't. Yeah, it's fantastic. They'd be Trevor's in for a, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A real treat. treat. In for a treat. I mean, Trevor, uh, he's kind of a renowned plantsman. Yeah. Um, Heavily involved with the uh, Encyclopedia for Growing Australian Plants as the illustrator. That's so right. Oh, he's just a, a you know illustrator. A, a beautiful illustrator and, and, and line drawings are stunning. Just beautiful. Yes. Yeah. I, when I'm when I'm in, trying to encourage my walkers to go down there, I say, "Did win the prize as the best new garden in the world." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's won a few prizes recently. It, it I was has, driving yeah. down oh, the has, main drive yeah. yesterday and. A couple of years ago, there was the World Landscape of the Year. Yes, yeah. it's been well recognised yeah. internationally. Yeah, very lucky. We're yeah. so lucky. I mean, to have all these botanic gardens in Victoria, and the Australian Garden is so unique as well yeah. in its design and in its planting. And and that was kind of deliberate. It was, um, you know, I, I've had calls recently to have a look at the design brief for the um, for the Australian Garden, and there were four key elements in in the brief. The, the one was to explore the kind of the landscapes that, that support the flora. Uh, and you know the, the diversity of the plants, mm. but embedded into the brief was for the for the garden to display Australian native plants in creative ways. Okay, so that was that was an instruction from the gardens to the potential designers, right? To push design boundaries. Um, and well, you've certainly done that. Well, that's right. Mm. Yes. that's right. And you know, you think the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne is you know it's a reasonably conservative organisation, particularly twenty years ago when we were dreaming the Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne up. Um, so it was a fantastic thing that the the gardens had the vision mm. um, to actually build um, creativity and design, high end design, um, into the design brief. Mm. Um, Excellent. You know, that's the vision of, of folks like you know Roger, the Maud Gibson Trust, mm. um, uh, Phil Moores. Yes. And a string of other people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But when yes. you think about Melbourne, Gwen, Guilfoyle, of course. Mm. Yeah. Did an amazing job on the on the Melbourne Garden. 
Yeah, uh, the South Yarra Garden. It's just, you know, it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And that is one of the things that's so extraordinary is it's two such high quality. Bot- I mean, they always say that Melbourne's one of the four bot- best botanic gardens in the world. Mm. You know, I reckon there's about 25 gardens that all reckon they're in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> And they all deserve to be in the top ten. And they all no deserve doubt. to be in the top ten. It was the same in the zoo world. The zoo used to say, oh, yeah, no, top, Melbourne Zoo, top ten botanic gardens in the world. No, Along, alongside about another yeah, 40. Yeah. Reckon, yeah. reckon the same thing. No, but, the zoo uh, but, is fantastic. But there is no doubt that the Melbourne Gardens is in the top, mm. top, top, you know, top yeah. bracket. Yeah. Whereas Cranbourne was the best. Yeah, in 2013 yeah. at the International Architecture yeah. Um, Fair. Yep. Yeah. International Landscape of the Year 2013. I mean, that's... It's extraordinary. It's mm. kind of like the, the equivalent of winning the Landscape Olympics. Oh, it is. Mm. And winning gold. why, mm. given we have such an absolutely stunning garden, why can the state government not put in some transport so that my international walkers can get there? That is the first question that so many people ask, and it's a big, it's a big question. It's a big question. We're working on it. It's a slow process, yeah, but, we yeah. We... Um, We've we've completed the first draft of the master plan for the next ten years. Okay, and um, you know one of the chapters is on access, okay. access and circulation mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and you know there's a big desire for us to um, have public transport accessibility to, to to the Cranbourne Gardens. I mean that's a there's a whole chapter in the in the master plan about that. I think the the kind of the reality at, at the moment is that it it just doesn't make it doesn't. It, the, the local bus companies and stuff like that. They say that it doesn't stack up in terms of the numbers don't work at the moment. How it's, do they know? Yeah, it's an mm. I- I- interesting thing. What we do know though is that there's bus connectivity to the South Gippsland Highway at one end of the garden, and the Frankston um, Cranbourne Road at the other end has bus connectivity. So one of the things we're going to explore in a master planning sense is could can we could we actually run a shuttle bus from public transport to, okay. to, to the site? You know, not every half hour or anything like no, that. No, no, no. But maybe a shuttle bus at, at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and then back at 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock. That's, yep. So they're, they're, sort, they're some of the things that we're exploring. As an interim measure, it would be excellent. Because we know Botanic Ridge, the suburb which is going to be developed to the south of the site, it, I mean, there's going to be there's three and a half thousand dwellings. Mm. So that's a, that's a mm. population of maybe 10,000 people. Right. And that's going to have to be served by that public transport. Going, so yes. inevitably it'll, it, it, will it, come. it will be an inevitability yes. that, that it, right. it'll make commercial sense yep. to have public transport. So, you know, one of the buses which is serving the suburb to myself diverts into the gardens and then continues on. Mm. But, but I think that's a couple of years off. So. Okay. Mm. But it is right. one of our, our big issues because and we, we wicked get, dilemmas. We get so many international visitors now. Yeah. Yeah. And I... I just want to tell them, and particularly the British ones, because they're such keen gardeners, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. and some of the Americans, they're such keen gardeners, yeah. and they would just be blown away yeah. by mm. yeah. We do have quite a lot of international visitors, but I know that there can be Usually so many more. Usually they family. Yeah, mm. that, yeah, family or friends that, that have access to a car. car. And it, they, normally, they normally are with yeah, family and friends. It, the, the other thing that we're looking at is increasing pedestrian and cycle co- connectivity um, and having good links to the Cranbourne train station. So that's you know, something that we're working on. Mm. Uh, uh, last year, there was this was quite amazing. There was, you know, the Melbourne Blue Bikes. Yeah. Yeah. There was mm. a couple of French people 
they hired some Melbourne Blue Bikes from you know, Federation Square or something like that and rode down oh <laughs> <my> <laughs> on those little three-speed Melbourne Blue Bikes. I think they caught the train back. <laughs> oh, that is such a long ride. Yeah, it's such a long ride. Yeah, so the 42Ks or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But, of course, you could do that on the train, couldn't you? You could. Mm. Oh, yes. very yep. easily. Yep. 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 Except- I mean, your Cranbourne station isn't <clears throat> far away and mm. if, you, if you do have bikes. No. It's not a big ride from the station down no, to the gardens. It, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, getting back to yes. – we, we, we've got a lot of gardens to we, cover, John. We do. <laughs> and some of them definitely deserve a mention. Now, the, the next one I want to bring up is um, Burnley Gardens. Burnley Gardens. Because they're almost like the official launch site, yes. aren't they, for yeah, today? Absolutely. Yep. And it's, yeah, they've got uh, guided tours from 11am uh, and 2pm. And they're also f- the friends are throwing up the, the nursery, so there's going to be pl- yep. some plant so sales. So plant Burnley, sales going at on. Burnley today, yep. Yep. Okay. And I think, um, is, is Costa going to be out there? He's, he's the ambassador. Costa's year. the ambassador. I think he's going to be in, uh, up in Sydney. Oh, today. okay. Yeah, yeah. In so the I don't, Sydney Botanics. Yeah, gardens. up at the Sydney Botanics, yeah. I don't yep. think he's going to be down here. Okay, okay. Yep. Uh, the next one I really want to mention, um, and uh, I must give an apology to my good friend John Bentley. I didn't get your email, John, in time for last week's show, but certainly um, out at Melton Botanic Gardens, they've got a lot of activities planned. Um, they're, they're such an active group out there. They're incredible. They're um, an incredible they are, people. They yeah. are incredible people. They've done so much work to that Botanic Garden. I mean, they're, they're basically building it, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a community group. Yep. Yes. Friend, friends. Yep. So they've got, Extraordinary. They've got guided tours. Their nursery's open. They've got a discovery table. <laughs> um, they were, they're running a breakfast with the birds at 9 a.m. Yep. Um, there's a display of nature-based quilts by Willow's Quilting Group. Yep. There's a sausage sizzle and there's all sorts of other information displays and free parking. And that's all happening today. <laughs> yeah. oh, so so if you're anywhere near the Melton area, yes. get yeah. down to I the gardens. go along. And, in fact, they're actively being involved also with Reconciliation Week. Excellent. So, um, so coming up uh, next Friday on the 3rd of June, for instance, they're having um, um, a... Yep. Big uh, free history, the story, the future—a guided walking tour, Fabulous. especially linked to uh, to Reconciliation Week and the the Koori, uh heritage that's down around that site. Beautiful. So, so wonderful, yeah, yes. Quite extraordinary. Yeah. Mm. Now, what about some of our other lesser known regional gardens in Victoria, John? I'll, I'll flick through them. So um, we've got, it's a, it's a fair distance, but Mildura is doing some, they're having a working bee up at uh, the Mildura Botanic Gardens, which sounds sounds great. And uh, the uh, Shepparton Botanic Gardens are guided tour at 11am. Ballarat have got uh, a couple of things, an exhibition and two tours up at the Ballarat Botanic Gardens. Um uh, Bendigo Botanic Gardens are running a couple of tours. Uh, Burnley Gardens, we've mentioned, are having plant sales at 11 o'clock and tours at 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Colac, open. Cranbourne Gardens, we talked about. Yep. Uh, the Geelong Botanic Gardens is a fantastic exhibition at the um, Geelong Gallery, which is um, uh, the, the the botanic illustrators at the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Have, oh, okay. They've been illustrating the trees. Yes. And um, so there's a, a beautiful exhibition of a, a book 
um, which is uh, the, the illustrators having illustrated the Geelong Botanic Gardens trees. Right. So that's the Geelong Gallery. Well, and, and, and they've linked in with that. They've got a, a special guided walk this afternoon, which is uh, all about tree stories. Tree stories. Tree yes. stories. So that's happening at 2 o'clock uh, in the gardens today there. You meet the guide at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens, and that's for a gold coin donation. Perfect. Yep. The uh, Gisborne Botanic Gardens opening Anzac Avenue. So that's... Oh, um, right. That's, that sounds really, really terrific. Uh, Kawara, there's a, a, an art exhibition up at Kawara Gardens at Kalorama in the, in the Dandenongs. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maranoa, Melbourne, Melton, Sale. Um, Sale is one of my favourite regional botanic gardens. Yes. I love it. On the lake there and then they've got the little zoological bit as well. I love <laughs> yeah. that it's still combined. It's good, so, I mean, Melbourne used to be combined. It did. Yeah, but sale, they've still got a little bit there, and they've got the white. They've got white peacocks and some other little <laughs> like paddy melon things or something. They're just it's they're beautiful it's gardens. A, it is a great some garden. Stunning old trees there as well. The um, Guilford just jaunted around Victoria. He and, did. Yeah, he really did. Did botanic gardens as, as did um, von Mueller. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And of yeah. course, they send a lot of plant <clears throat> material out to they all did. these regional gardens yep. as well. Yep. Uh, University of Melbourne has a systems garden in the yes. University of Melbourne. It's a cracking little garden. Yes. It's possibly one of our best, kiss, best kept secrets. Um, That's a, somewhere I'm going to try and head to today, oh, actually. Good. Really because good. I've never, I've never seen it. Oh, it's fantastic. And, yes, and it's mm. been hidden away there. <laughs> and people don't realise it's open to the public. Um, well, there's going to be tours of the garden today there, so an opportunity for a guided tour, which Excellent. would be really great with, Tim, be with, great. with, with Tim. Yep. What Tim time of the tours are they? Uh, saying from 9 to 3, right. and on the day we'll provide tours. So, oh, you know, here we go. System garden tours at 11am and 1pm. Excellent. So 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock yep. for the systems garden. At, you know what at, you're doing at 11pm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Williamstown uh, mini tours of the gardens at 11 and, and 2, and Wilson Botanic Park, um, the, 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 the theme there is the there are fossums at the bottom of our garden. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, because Wilson Botanic Park is a site of what international paleobotanical significance. There's fossils of carimbias and mm. um, uh, beech trees and uh, you know a range of different things. Fossil evidence of all of my pines at, at Wilson Botanic Park in, right. Ber- in Berwick. And so again, that was a garden a that, that was... Pretty much neglected for a long time. Long time, yeah. Until a friends group got going. Gosh, the the things that friends groups achieve is amazing. But now they're really behind it and they've done wonders out Mm. there. Doing fantastic things. Yes. And there is an absolute correlation between an effective friends group um, and botanic gardens that are doing interesting yeah, good work. Mm. Um, there is, there's, it's, there's some cause and effect in in all of that. I mean, you're talking about doing planning for 2017. Yeah. The program that the Cranbourne friends pull together is phenomenal. It, yeah, it blows my mind sometimes yeah. how much we do, and um, you know, just getting people involved. And you don't know who you're going to come across and who's going to get involved. And citizen science, and it, it's a wonderful thing. You Fabulous. Yeah. When lots of people get together and encourage each other and and inspire each other you know you can do a lot of things yeah yeah definitely yep. and you've been involved with the friends for uh, uh, three yeah about three years yeah. now and a couple of years before that with as the garden ambassador right so, yeah. yeah botanic gardens they're beautiful yeah, how they could are. you not <laughs> so a bunch of victorian gardens doing a bunch of things there is a website um so it's bganz bganz dot org uh if you want to look specifically at anything other but mm. um 
stuff happening all over the yeah. state. Get in, out to your in, local in, garden. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or go out to your own garden if you can't get to a local <laughs> botanic garden. And, and Pam, you were suggesting that um, if listeners have got their favourite garden or comments they'd like to make about their botanic yeah. gardens. We we'd could, we we'd, could we'd love to hear from yeah. them. We're going to open up our talkback lines now. So if you'd like to ring in and tell us about one of the bega- uh, botanic <laughs> gardens that you've uh, maybe just discovered for yourself or one that you go to regularly because yeah. you love it so much, we'd love to hear from you. That number this morning is 94190155. Okay, I do have a couple of other community announcements I must get to. Um, Firstly, coming up, uh, let me see, next Friday, which is June the 3rd already, goodness me, um, is the next uh, talk um, out at the uh, Australian Plant Society Keylor Plains Group. And uh, this is starting at 8 o'clock. Landscape architect Louise Pell will be giving a free talk on garden design with Indigenous plants. Now, uh, Louise's garden is one of those that's featured in AB and Angus Stewart's book on the Australian Native Garden. The address for this talk is the East Keelor Airport West Uniting Church. It's on the corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue in Airport West. Melway's map reference there is 15, reference H8. And if you'd like more information, you can contact Anne. Her number is 9336. Three double two eight. That's nine double three six three double two eight. Now, because we're heading into winter, um, the Rose Society of Victoria are starting up their pruning demonstrations again. These are free pruning demonstrations. The first uh, couple are starting up next Saturday, June the fourth. Now at uh, eleven o'clock and one thirty. They'll be out at Garden World, which is in Springvale Road there in Keysborough. So that's 11am and 1.30. And they will also be down at the Victoria State Rose Garden, which is K Road down in Werribee. Again, 11am and 1.30 to, uh, to go along to one of those uh, rose pruning demonstrations. And as we, as we move along through the weeks, I'll give out the various locations of where they're going to be at for each weekend. And, and Pam, another phenomenal, you know, volunteer-run yes. organisation totally. group. Totally. You know, just yes. incredible. Yes, and they do this every winter. They're out there yeah. in, in various locations right around Melbourne yep. so that people can access them yep. yeah, near to where they live. You know, Terrific. It's, it's people power. It is, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, just finally, one to mention for next Saturday as well, the 4th of June, this is the next uh, incredible edible Coburg food swap that's taking place out at Pepper Tree Place. Now, of course, as well as the uh, food swap table, they'll be running um, a workshop. Now, the workshop this Saturday is going to be with Adam Grubb, um, and it's all about edible and medicinal weeds. Uh, Adam, of course, uh, co-authored the Weed Foragers Handbook, so copies of the field guide will be available for a special price on the day. Um, now, lum- numbers are limited for the actual workshop. Cost is $15 full or $10 concession. And uh, to book in for that workshop, you need to phone 0421-402-512. I'll repeat that number, 0421 
or you can email, if you've got paper and pencil, which you should always have listening to The Gardening Show, <laughs> H-S-A-N-G-H-V-I, that's H-S-A-N-G-H-V-I at kildonan.org.au. Now, as well as the workshop and the swap table, there's going to be live music happening. Their pop-up uh, cafe will be running. Their volunteer-run nursery will be open. Uh, there'll be a clothes swap and there'll be Reiki uh, all taking place. So that's next Saturday. The address is 512 Sydney Road, Coburg. It's actually on the corner of Bell Street and Sydney Road, 10 a.m. running through until 2 p.m. next Saturday. All right, that number again, if you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question or if you'd like to ring in and talk about one of your favourite botanic gardens, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Chloe, we haven't mentioned yet, um, you've just started in a new job and you're Um, actually out at Melbourne Zoo. Yes, I am. I'm in the nursery at Melbourne Zoo growing food for the butterflies, which is uh, an interesting type of horticulture, growing plants and making them look really fabulous for caterpillars to to eat eat right down to nothing (laughs) and totally destroy. It, It just goes against the grain a little bit, but it's... You know the end. The end result of having beautiful butterflies flying around in the butterfly house, um, it makes it all worth it. So it's a very interesting, very interesting job. Which John know a little bit about? Yeah, it's it's you were out there. While. How many years were you out at the zoo? John? Oh, I was there for twenty years. Twenty yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah, it was. It was phenomenal. <laughs> and when I started at the zoo, it was pretty hideous. It was. Um, Environmentally barren, yes. concrete cages, bars. Yes, yes. You know, it was that old-fashioned, pretty, um, I don't know, confronting really, um, the, the, the zoo at the time. You yes. Know? And you were there at the perfect time to, to oversee part of that that change. Well, revolution it really was. It, it, it was a transformation. A whole it was a new way of looking at what zoos should be like. And that, and that was on the back of um, – there, there was a whole movement to – <clears throat> excuse me, zoo horticulture is a specialist field um, and for naturalistic enclosures to be the sort of the the, the the method of displaying animals so to get them out of the concrete, you know, they're still captive animals certainly. Of course. But the context of, of you know, how they're presented and, and the physical environment that they're in was just completely transformed. Mm. And... Um, yeah, that was it was quite amazing to be involved with. I mean, I was blessed to be at, at the zoo at that time during that kind of transformation, because you know we really learnt a lot about how to do that sort of zoo horticulture as a, as, a, as an emerging um, new thing. Um, and you know we learnt a lot about horticulture and just growing plants as a, in, mm. in, in response. But I think the pivotal one was the butterfly house mm. because that was the first time in the history of any zoo exhibit. Uh, certainly at the Melbourne Zoo, that the success of the exhibit was absolutely contingent on horticulturists. Yeah, and yeah, you and know, it still is. It still is. <laughs> yeah. it's the, and it's the same yeah. thing. It's a remarkably challenging thing. It is challenging. We've got to have a sort of a constant supply of the same plant all year round if they want to keep those butterflies breeding all yep. year round. So. We've got different, uh, you know, crops, the same crop at different <coughs> plant stages, freshly pruned back, you know, and ones that are ones that are ready to go to go up to the house to be eaten by the caterpillars. By the caterpillars. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, we were talking before about the type of horticulture, zoo horticulture. It's it is so unique because it's you're throwing in another type of another variable, I suppose, with the animals, and yep. you, you can't just throw any plant into an exhibit it could be toxic 
they could just totally <coughs> destroy the plant, which they often do. You think, oh, no, no, they, they won't touch this plant. And you go in the next day and, like, the squirrel monkeys have destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got to be, you know, either a well-established plant or, you know, something that's not toxic and, and, and many other things that um, – that, that won't hurt the plant. So I was in the Lima enclosure, one of the Lima really? enclosures the other day, doing a bit of weeding and remulching and pruning back the – we've got a lot of elephant grass. Okay. Which is – I think I saw on a David Attenborough documentary recently that it's – the elephant grass is one of the tallest grasses in the world. Uh, outside oh, of bamboos? Outside of – yeah, yeah. Excluding bamboo. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, these elephant grass can get to – Two and a half meters high or something, yep. and they're very fast growing, and and the animals don't touch it, so it's a popular plant at oh, the zoo excellent. for excellent. us. Yeah. Very good. We like those ones that we do. animals don't successfully <laughs> touch. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, outside the enclosures, <laughs> there's the possums that we have to deal with as well. Mm. It's like for city possums, <laughs> it is a hive of it's a smorgasbord of food. Oh, absolutely. So they eat the trees and they they'll eat the shrubs, and so it's a battle. As well, outside of the exhibits, yep. what plants are the possums going to leave? So, Well, that, that's the other thing too with, with the zoo. I mean, when you were first there, John, um, not only were the, were the enclosures pretty barren mm. and you've had to rethink about, mm. you know, what their environment, their natural environment would be and try and, try and recreate those. But you've also... The other interesting, well, I think fascinating concept is that you thought about the people looking in and suddenly those people are camouflaged. So the animals aren't seeing just a whole wall of people all staring at them because you've actually done plantings outside the enclosures. Absolutely. Yes, so that they've got almost a bit of... Semi privacy, mm. for sure. It's it's um that, that, that's kind of landscape immersion and habitat immersion. Um, it, it's a, the, that concept. The, when the gorilla rainforest was first done, this is many many years ago now. Mm. Um, the the gorillas, the, the there were a couple of studies done. One of what what happened to the gorilla behaviour, um, and the other one was what happened to, to people that were looking at the gorillas and their behaviour, the, the behaviour of the visitors. Yes. The first one was the gorillas. They went from you know the old pit enclosures, environmentally barren. You oh, know, that pr- was they, were, they were pretty yeah. dreadful. Yeah. And they've gone into from from, from that from that environmentally barren enclosure to these really well. We we planted it really thickly and we let it establish for you know two and a half years, and it was thick with vegetation. Absolutely, like it was literally. If we wanted to get through, you had to cut a path through with a machete. <laughs> it was it was one of those just just extraordinarily dense, just full of plants at all sorts of different heights. And the gorillas went from this, you know, barren enclosure into this same same animals, and it was quite some quite a moment when the gorillas first breached um, the, the enclosure and started to walk in. They were just gently, very gently, for the first couple of days, right? Um, you know, walking through the enclosure, you know, separating the vegetation. And then they started to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say they eat a fair yeah, bit of they, the stuff that's yep, in there now. Yep, then they started to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd find, they found out that Hedicium, you know, the garden variety gingers, tasted pretty bloody good. 
So they would they would they would species by species. They would they so they just eliminated all the hadikium and then they thought they had a taste for this other thing and they just moved. But they basically they ate the, they ate the enclosure and Good put on, put on all this weight. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite phenomenal. Oh, but no. but but the um the transformation there was within a couple of days of going into the the new enclosure. You know the keepers that had been looking at these animals for twenty years. In some cases, there were all these behaviours mm. that were being expressed that they'd never seen before. Mm. Normal, natural gorilla behaviour was being expressed because of the physical environment that they were in right. was supporting that to happen yes. and encouraging it. Yes. So it was quite an amazing moment for, for I think zoo horticulture globally was the the gorillas going into this heavily vegetated exhibit. The other thing that were, was quite phenomenal was the visitors that were looking at the gorillas. Um, there was a survey done of kids that were in um, years 8 to 10 um, and same animals in one enclosure and they were moved into the other. So there was a survey and it was used words to describe the gorillas in one context and they were ugly, stupid, aggressive, angry. You know, there was right. a, a whole propensity for quite negative. Yes. It was a tick tick box thing. There were some okay. words and you, t- yep. you ticked what you thought were appropriate. Yep. In the new enclosure... They were beautiful, gentle, threatened. The, the wow. People were viewing these animals completely different. Same animals, different context. Right. They, they were, they, so they, they made the connection between um, the gorillas and, and maybe threatening processes mm. in the wild in West Africa. It was mm. just you know, mm. profound. Mm. People were perceiving the animals differently because of the, the environment that they had been displayed in. And had the animals' behaviour also radically changed? It did. So they were spending, you know, majority of their time asleep in the old enclosure. Yes, and because they were bored. Because they were mm. bored and the majority of the time awake in the new one. Right. And they were sleeping because they were exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a transformation. It was, a, it was quite... Now, really challenging horticulturally to keep that level of... Um, interaction going with, with, with vegetation. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I think environmental enrichment happens in all sorts of different ways now. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's an evolving idea. Yes. Um, um, but, yeah, I think that was a, a really interesting case study for yeah. um, the benefits of naturalistic yeah. enclosures for both the Well, I know, I know with the elephants, they're forever having to come up with new toys and games yeah. to keep them... So, to keep them enriched. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting stuff, isn't yeah, it, Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. you were talking about what the zoo was like 20, 30 years ago. You can still see that a little bit, the historic ex- exhibits that yeah. are still there, the yeah. old... I mean, it's... It's a really nice, from an architectural point, it's a nice old Victorian, Edwardian sort of building thing. It's quite but beautiful, But it is yeah. thick, you know, um, iron bars mm. and yep. big, you know, brick fence. And it's like, it's a semicircle that's five metres across, yep. three metres out, and yep. that's it. And one leopard used to roam around in it yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You know, how de- how depressing oh, would awful. that be? Awful. It's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And the people were quite close to you know, to the fence through the bars, yep. so there's it just would have been awful for them. But yeah. you know, now there's there's such a good use of space now through the you know you walk through the Africa exhibit and you're winding around, but you don't know that two meters across you know through the thick bamboo vegetation, yep. there's a path through to the Asia exhibit through the tigers. Yep. It's just it's a wonderful use of space now mm. through those landscapes and. Yep. It, yeah, it's forever evolving, and there's yeah. always a new project going on. So, oh, oh that's there. The zoos are construction <coughs> sites, aren't they? Yeah. So, it what, is. what what things are happening there at the moment? Uh, they're redoing or extending the giraffe and zebra uh, okay. 
precinct at the moment. Okay. And then we're starting the Predators, the second stage of the, of the Predator project. So okay. I think the first stage was the new lion and crocodile enclosures. Okay. Now they're going to redo um, the bears and the, the snow leopard area right. as well, which will be the last major um, uh, renovation, I suppose you call it. And um, it's... It's starting soon, so we, we've got a busy couple of years coming up for the horticulture team. <laughs> yeah, so in between everyone doing their normal jobs and maintaining the gardens and growing the butterfly food, there's yep. there's the project side of it as well, which is really exciting. It is exciting, and yeah. we get you know we get in some advanced plants and get to do the planning and, and sort of see how it's all constructed. Yeah, I'm great. really looking forward to seeing how it's all done because yeah, I good. haven't seen that before. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, enjoy it. it yeah, it, it, really it, it, enjoy it. The wonderful horticultural training grounds, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're fantastic. And and then of course the, the, there's the in Melbourne Zoo, but the Zoo Victoria is actually three properties, and you know very very different horticulture mm, happening mm. at each of the sites. Mm. Yes, the, I'm the sure. Hills of Sanctuary, it's it it's um you know it's all Australian native plants, and uh, you know an emphasis on on things that come from the Yarra Valley, and um uh, it's uh, the kind of the bushland experience, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know Werribee with the plains and. Werribee's yeah. very interesting because they've got, yeah, they've they've got a lot of rabbit control and very wide open plains um, conservation management mm. for them. Yeah, I was down there uh, recently, and the, the one of the horticulture team were talking about a new uh, a subspecies of eucalypt that they've got down there. Okay, that's only only grows in that Werribee Park, Werribee wow. Zoo. It's yeah, subspecies of the blue oh, gum, the blue, the biriana. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so you know they've got that to contend with and mm. to to manage with the creek conservation as well. Yeah. So and then Hillsville, they they've got all the little helmeted honey eaters and the pygmy possums, and there's a lot of conservation going on up there and a lot of science going on up at Hillsville, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're interesting places. Yeah, the, they are very the, interesting. The, the, the zoos, and we're blessed to have you know this great diversity of botanic gardens, but we have this great diversity of Zoological gardens as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wonderful. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening <coughs> Show in the studio this morning. We've got John Arnott and Chloe Foster and also Virginia Haywood, who's helping with the outside lines as well. Uh, so if you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question or talk about botanic gardens or zoological gardens, we'd love to hear from you. That number again is nine. 9- Four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. We are running through until nine fifteen, so you've got plenty of time to jump on the phone line and give us a call nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, John, something I happen to notice, um, something else you've been very quiet about, uh, <laughs> but you've just been um, one of four recipients uh, for a scholarship. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, and, yes. And your scholarship is for establishing a Victorian conservation collection. That's right. Tell us about that. Oh, that's, that's a lovely project. Um, th- uh, again, it's uh, looking at botanic gardens in Victoria. Um, yeah, I guess what, you know, some of the defining things that make a botanic garden are a botanic garden. I mean, there's a, a dictionary definition, which is, you know, um, documented collections of living plants for the purposes of display, science, rec- rec- um uh, uh, interpretation, education, and conservation. Right. So, you know, con- a conservation agenda and a scientific agenda are sort of embedded into the definition of a botanic garden. Um, if you look at it, it, if you looked at those Victorian botanic gardens that we mentioned, very few of those gardens would actually be practicing in any real way 
practical plant conservation activities. Okay. It's it's just been a little bit too um, difficult to, to facilitate or maybe unattainable mm-hmm. or perceived to be unattainable right. for regional botanic gardens. So we're gonna we're running a project that coming out of the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, um, which we, we, which is going to take a couple of years to roll out. Um, so what we're doing at the moment is kind of the, the, some of the feasibility work about the concept of having a multi-site conservation collection. So rare and endangered Victorian plant species right. um, being grown in regional botanic gardens all across the state. Okay. Um, so if uh, you know, things, rare and threatened plant species from East Gippsland would be held at the Sale Botanic Gardens. Yeah. Rare and threatened things from the Goldfields might be held at Castle Main and Bendigo. Well, you've got yeah. to, you've got to suit the the soil and the climate. Exactly, yeah, yes. exactly. So we've got this. They fan- have to be local. We've got this fantastic geographic spread of botanic gardens that line up really nicely with the bioregions of Victoria. Mm, wonderful. So it's um it's a, a there was a project that happened back at the, the sesquicentennial year for the um, Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne, 150th year, and the Melbourne Gardens distributed a range of plants to a range of regional botanic gardens um, across the, the state. So we're looking at, at doing a similar sorts of thing to, to that in that the Melbourne Botanic Gardens and the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens would propagate up all, all of these rare and threatened plant species and then distribute them. Okay. Um, across the state to, to, to regional botanic gardens, uh, and they would um, display them. Right. So this multi-site conservation collection. Um, uh, so it's a concept at this stage. Yes. Uh, and I've been given funding, which is fantastic, from the Maud Gibson Trust to you know really look at that in some detail as to the feasibility of it. So at some point, um, and it's not going to be for a couple of months because we're just so really, really, really busy at Cranbourne, um, but later in the year, I'm going to be. Um, we're going to open up expressions of interest to regional mm. botanic gardens, and I'll travel to each of those gardens and um, you know work with them on an approach to uh, displaying rare and threatened plants. Mm. And it might be that some gardens like Geelong have got some big capacity to do lots and lots of things, um, whereas the Colac Botanic Gardens with a couple of staff, it might be a handful of yep. you know keynote species. Yep. Yeah, but I guess also what you have to do is is identify. Which are our rare and special, you know? Indeed, yeah. So, so there is a there's a, a published list of rare and threatened Victorian plants. Okay, that, um, so that work's already been done. That has been done. Okay, but what what hasn't been done is um, an assessment of their horticultural um, potential. Um, so we've we've done that. We've gone through all of the nine hundred and seventy odd species which Goodness. are on which are on this list okay um and we've assessed them f- against a whole range of different criteria you know where did they come from was was the first one what's their conservation status and significance yes but also things like how easy are they to grow can they be propagated um uh you know what about their ornamentation and their um you know are they good garden plants or you know that look a bit scrappy or weedy um do you also look at what um what um, insect or animal life they might be supporting? Or? Uh, look, p- p- potentially, yeah, yeah. But it's not a, it's not a column in there um, per per se. But uh, there is a, a, a bunch of these which are, you know, butterfly host plants and things like that. As, as, yeah, as well. because I mean, uh, you might have a plant that maybe is a bit straggly. Yeah. But it's it's doing the most fantastic job providing habitat exactly. or you know a yeah. food source. Yeah. Or... A- a- absolutely. So yeah. num- you know, like a number of grasses are. are 
you know, some of them can look a little bit scrappy, but a number of grasses are really great for feeding the caterpillars of mm. brown butterflies and, 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 and the like. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a really lovely uh, project that um, – so by the end of this year, this calendar year, I'm hoping to have had the feasibility study complete, mm-hmm. and at which point we'll look for additional funding to start to propagate these plants and get them distributed through the state. But um, be – Lovely thing to do for you know regional botanic gardens to have a collection of locally threatened plant species. Absolutely, that's fantastic for education purposes as well as you know a a, a practical means of of participating in a conservation agenda. Because a lot of these gardens actually do hold um, collections of things, but they tend not to necessarily be um, Australian native. Most of most of most of the gardens were were based on the um, the European model. That's right. Yeah, you know, so they're um, the green oasis, the 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 big the big mm. trees, the green grass. Um, a lot of our regional botanic gardens are probably more accurately described as arboretum. I think, mm. um, in that there's not a lot of complex uh, you know garden beds and, and and shrub beds and and things like that in a, in a number of them. Yes, of course, a number of them do have. You know, significant collections. Yep. You know, Ballarat, Bendigo. That's right. Geelong, Colac. Yep. yep. I mean, they all hold, hold collections of plants, but um, yeah, m- many of them are. are um, it's the trees which are the the, the, the really, you know, they're the old bits. They're yes. the bits that have been there since the eighteen sixties and seventies. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and many of those trees are European trees. Many of them are mm. U- European trees. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Many of them are. Um, Geelong. You know, Daniel Bunce at Geelong was an interesting. Um, curator, he grew a lot. He grew a lot of Australian native plants as well. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed Geelong, you know, mixture of native and exotic. But yeah, it, it's it was it was it was about um, those gardens were about creating familiar spaces. So it was about trying to emulate the the homeland. Yes, um, you know, design gardens which are familiar, mm. d- design gardens which have got reminders of of the homeland. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, interesting things. Botanic gardens. I mean, they're they're constantly evolving, um, but in, in, increasingly, um, yeah, we're hoping to, that Victorian gardens will have capacity to facilitate a conservation agenda, mm. and that's what the scholarship's all about. Oh, I think Which that's is, a fantastic. That's fantastic. It's a ripper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'd be really interesting to see the results that you get because sometimes a threatened species, I mean, it could be threatened for many reasons in mm. its natural environment. It could be fantastic as a horticultural plant, but oh, then yes. some. But then you can look at it as it could be rare and threatened, rare and threatened for a reason. Yep. Because it is, oh, I hate to say it, like a slightly weaker mm. sort of a, sort of a plant or species. Yep. So. These results that you get will be fascinating. There will be. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole range of different um, uh, reasons why things become rare and threatened. Yeah. You know, if you if you live on the basalt plains, you know the the the, the great Victorian grassy plain, which I think is the third biggest volta- volcanic plain in the world. Yes, yep. I believe that. You know, it's really yes. quite an amazing. You know, most of that's been modified into mm. agricultural landscapes. Mm, it's very undervalued landscape. Yeah. yeah. So you know, consequently, a lot of things on this list of things that come from Western Victoria. Mm. You know, from the plains country of Western Victoria. Yes. Um, you know, some of those things are, can be a little bit weedy in conservation. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, uh, there's a species of Pelagonium which was recently discovered at the back of Benambra that we can't grow at Cranbourne because it's too weedy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing inherently um, so sort of feeble about the... What's restricting <clears throat> it in its native? 
natural um, range. Look, I actually don't know what the threatening processes are okay. in its natural range, but it yeah. is—it's you know—it's restricted to a couple of areas and yeah. it's not widespread at all. But in cultivation, it's a, it just keeps going. Wow. It's like it's stoloniferous and it spreads, and we wouldn't be able to grow it at Cranbourne. No. no. Um, and there so you go. yeah, it's interesting. So. And and when you were when you were at the zoo, you actually had a hand with um, with trying to rescue a, a particular orchid. That was a great project. the 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 zoo acquired a, a four pots of Diurus fragrantissima, which were acquired from the parks manager out at Sunshine back in the nineteen seventies. He there's a it's the Sunshine Diurus orchid or the fragrant double tail orchid, Diurus fragrantissima. And it, it, it was formerly known as Snow in Summer. That's how prolific it was on the, on the, on the plains. Wow. Really wow. isolated. It was a, never had a big natural distribution. It was always, you know, um, just beyond the Melbourne, just beyond Melbourne. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe hundreds of, maybe hundred square kilometres range. Okay. So not, not, not a big range. Yes. Um, but prolific. But it got, you know, with the development of the Western Plains, it, 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 um, got restricted and restricted and restricted down to one tiny population in a little rail reserve just out of Tottenham. Um, so, you know, highly endangered species, lots and lots of threats, so the population was really crashing. This parks manager took it on his own initiative to dig up some plants out of the wild, which was completely illegal at the time. Yes. Um, well, it's still basically. It still and, is. And it still is, and it still is. Um, so I'm not endorsing this no, as a conservation measure. No, um, but. The, the plants ended up at La Trobe Uni and then they ended up at a, at a bench at, at, at Melbourne. And what we had one year was um, uh, this huge pollination and germination event. So we had all we had these big pots with three or four, five, six plants, which made hundreds of seedlings. Mm. So we had wow. so there was a, a thing where the population of the wild might be two or three or five plants left in the wild, and maybe a thousand plants sitting on a bench at the zoo. Right. Um, and I can remember to, to to the day it was it was we, it was Christmas Day, uh, nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety two. We decided that we would pot up all those seedlings, and we potted up all those seedlings, and we had many many hundreds of, of Diurus fragrantissima seedlings sitting on a bench in the zoo. And those plants have been um, they were the mother stock yes, for, yeah. for for a range of translocation and conservation work. Um, so yeah, it was it was, it was a, a really interesting thing to be charged with that responsibility. Yeah. Just oh, to have, gosh, just yes. it was kind of we were a bit, we were a bit nervous as we were dividing these things and potting them up. Thinking, yes. you know, this is we have we have a responsibility here. Absolutely, yeah. So it was just serendipitous that they ended up at a, at a bench in the zoo. Um, but it was uh, a really nice example of kind of ex situ conservation collections, so offsite conservation collections, being that backstop to what potentially was an extinction. Mm. The good news is that it's still hanging on at that, that uh, Tottenham side. Is it really? That it's quite secure in, cult- in cultivating. Okay. Uh, and there's been a, a couple of attempts uh, to translocate it back into, into, into the wild with some success. Um, well, it's hard to get secure sites, I would imagine, mm. for it a is. start. Yeah. Which is why your regional, which is where your regional botanic gardens again come into it. That's exactly right. They're potentially sites to hold. Yes. You know, significant collections That's of very right. threatened plant species. The, the, there's a terrific project which is happening at um, the Cranbourne Gardens, which is the Orchid Conservation Project. Have you had Nushka in to, to Not speak? as yet. No. You, you really yes, should. Yes, I know. I must. <clears throat> so Nushka Rita um, yes. is. 
She's, she's doing amazing work. Out she's there. doing amazing work. Yes. Uh, you know, working with many, many, many species yep. of threatened orchids. Yes. Um, she was at the Delwip office uh, nursery in Horsham up until, you know, quite recently, 18 months ago or so. Um, but had to move out of the Horsham nursery and was looking for a location to run her orchid conservation project. Um, the Cranmer Gardens and the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria was explored and we've established a lab for her to do her propagation work. Um, so what Nushka does is she goes into the wild, collects bits and pieces of seed, brings that into c- cultivation and she she basically is, is looking at translocating, so putting... Back, back. Into, back into the wild, mm, yes. um, populations of rare and threatened orchids. <clears throat> and, um, you know, she's working on, I don't know how many, 25, 30, 40 species of, of, of orchids. Wow. Um, so we've got this real hot spot for orchid conservation happening at Cranburn. Yes. And that's yeah. just scratching the surface with that amount of species that she's doing because they're so diverse. Yes. At yeah. different locations, you know, within a couple of kilometres of each other, aren't they? And orchids being... You know, if you look at the threatened flora, lots, you know, a fair percentage of our threatened flora are orchid species because mm. mm. they're just so um, highly evolved, mm. you know, so they've, they may have evolved to have a, a, a individual species of um, wasp yeah. being the only thing that pollinates it. Yes, right. So there's a whole ecology that sits around um, orchids and their, and their, you know, their needs. Mm. And if, you know, you take a piece of the ecology out and... <clears throat> yeah, That's right. Become, I mean, if that wasp threatened. gets threatened, well, yep. then you lose the species Ex- as well. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So some really terrific things happening on orchid conservation at the at the uh, Cranbourne Gardens mm. um, through Nushka's work. Mm. Um, and di- that diurus is it's. I saw it the other day flowering on a bench, and I've had a long term relationship with diurus. Railway reserves. <clears throat> Uh, especially over in the west, mm. are hot spots for because they just oh, they built the railway and they didn't touch anything around the railway. And, yep. I mean you can't build, you can't build on you it. You can't build on it. No, so right. they've been a you know a conservation hot spot for quite a long time. There's a couple of significant ones up at Sunbury, I yep. think, and yep. and and. and, and Oh, I can't remember where else. Tottenham and Riddles Creek. There's a couple. Yes. Yeah. Um, just out of just out of St Albans. There's a really interesting little bit of train yeah. line between Geelong and Melbourne. Um, there's a bunch of rail, rail reserves along mm. Geelong. But there's a big one at Manor, uh, which is about nine kilometres to the uh, west of Werribee. Um, but there's, I think, there's. Well, there used to be 12 threatened species, rare or threatened plant species along that Melbourne to Geelong railway line, <laughs> including, a, um, including a little grevillea, uh, okay. a, a form of grevillea rose marinifolia, um, which is no longer there. It got, got by a um, front-end loader or something like oh, that. Yeah. Oh, no. Now, it's in cultivation. It's a lovely little thing. It's called grevillea rose marinifolia lara dwarf. Ah, um, right. That so, is a nice one. Is that yeah. what, okay, that's yeah. it. So that came from Lara. That came from Lara on one of those railway line reserves. Wow. There and, was one of the um, – an honours student at La Trobe University back in the 70s did a Thermida Australis uh, for his honours project, and I've been through his herbarium um, specimens, right. and he collected everything from all of the rail reserves. Right. 
of Themata australis and all whatever whatever was there he collected. So okay. there's, you know, big variety of plants and there's a lot in the Latrobe herbarium with those sort of species. Fantastic. Yeah, that were from all the rail reserves. Yeah, like I say, they're really important mm. lineal reserves. <laughs> that um, And, and the, the, the management practice for the reserves was they used to, you know, burn them. Um, to keep the weeds down. Yes. Mm. Um, and in doing that, they were kind of mimicking, um, you know, the, the pre-European yeah. bushfire, yes. fire stick farming um, regime. Uh, the, you know, grasslands in the absence of fire, the grasses tend to become dominant, and you know you lose the diversity of flowering plants and herbs and those types of things. Mm-hmm. So just, just, it was just benign management. There was no attempt to manage the sites no, for their biodiversity. No, no, no. It was about no. keeping the, 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 the weeds down and the yeah. fire ish down. Yeah. But in doing so they were they were mimicking, you know, really, really good fire ecology. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, road reserves and cemeteries are the other place. Cemeteries, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Rokewood Cemetery in Bannockburn and Truganina um, Cemetery. Trug, yeah. yeah. Truganina Cemetery is a ripper. That is. Yeah. It is a ripper, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's some beautiful little Ritodospermas and oh, another little daisy one. Okay. Rutidosis le- lepterincoides. That one. That one. Um, the, the button wrinkle wart. Yes. Um, what a good name, a wrinkle wart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the button wrinkle wart was thought to be co dominant on the basalt plains at one point. Um, so there were billions and billions so and billions and billions of them across right. across the basalt plains, yep. and uh, again a bit like diurus, just through agricultural displacement, um, the uh, the populations have been restricted to you know a few rail reserves. That manor one just beyond um, uh, Werribee has got a population of Rutidosis, mm. but the big robust population is at um, at Truganina Cemetery, mm. and. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been out there for a couple of years, but I, I have my annual spring sojourn out to Truganina to see the rutidosis. It's a bit tragic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, John. You're in good company. We support you. <laughs> Another um, annual sojourn is to go to the Nicholas Memorial Gardens up in the Dandenongs oh, and yes. have a look at the ginkgo there, right. which I think is probably going to be shining this weekend. Um, ginkgo's been, you know, they're... Uh, uh, Amongst the last of the of the autumn things to really drop, and mm. this one's deep down in the gully. So um, beautiful. Yeah, I might not get there this year, but uh, oh well. Yeah. Oh well. As long as you get to Truganina, that's one one of the two. Yeah, I'm hoping to get yeah. to Truganina again. Yeah. We went there for uni a couple of years ago when I was, and we were looking at the grasslands and Western Plains and mm. saw the button wrinkle wart. The button wrinkle wart. It, there's a couple of. It's an interesting little cemetery. Is I think a lot of it's probably. There's still a few gravestones left up the front, mm. and then there's this cordoned-off area of under. There's about three gum trees or something. It's yeah, a very small gums, cemetery, yeah. yeah. Mm. And a lot of the diversity is sort of still around there, and yeah. the the weedy species are slowly creeping in, but they're sort of managing to keep this little bit in the middle. In good nick. In good nick. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I must remind listeners, if you'd like to join us this morning, we are running through until 9.15. We'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Chloe, I think you brought in a couple of bits and pieces Yes, I did. I don't know what to choose first. I suppose we were talking about grevilleas before. I brought in a grevillea. It's a very common, it's a very popular type, isn't it? It's a grevillea peaches and cream. It's lovely. It's a beautiful medium shrub, and it 
is a prolific flower. It's a very popular garden plant, and not a lot is flowering at my garden at the moment, which, well, what are you going to do? It, it looked good in summer, so I'm pretty grateful when your garden looks good in summer. Anyway, so this has just started flowering at the moment. The, the, the shrub is covered. It's got – it's a – well, peaches and cream, so it's, it's a peachy orange colour and, mm. and a sort of greeny yellow um, on the tips of the flowers, and it's – they're fantastic plants. They they do. I mean, a lot of the large flowering gavillias do flower all year round. So, um, oh yeah, I just love it. Yeah, it's, it's lovely, and you know, bird attracting. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, grevilleas are great value plants, aren't they? They are. Because, I mean, they do. They just, just mm. go on and on and on flowering. And they're, they're so tough. They're yes. low maintenance and they don't need a lot of water. I mean, once they're established, you can yeah. just forget about yeah, them. Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. One of the other popular ones I haven't got in my garden yet is the grevillea moonlight. That's and nice. It's a large shrub and it's so bright, the flowers, and they stick up above the above the foliage and they flower all year round. Yeah. They're a fantastic cultivar. There's mm. so many fantastic Australian plant cultivars that are. We're a little bit slow with the Australian plants in, in cultivation, but there's a lot of fantastic new varieties coming out that yep. are constantly being um, tweaked, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah, there's especially grevilleas. Well, you've got a form of Coria alba there that yes. is just gorgeous. Yeah, this is Coria alba St Andrews form. I guess it collected from down at St Andrews on the Mornington Peninsula. Right. Um, it's it doesn't look like the t- a typical Coria alba, which is probably why they collected and cultivated it. Mm. It has bright, not bright, glaucous dark green foliage, yep. and the flower is it's like it's a pure white flower. The, the normal Coria alba is normal looks it can look a little bit dirty creamy sometimes, creamy dirty. Yeah, creamy dirty is okay. I'm not yeah. being mean to it, no, but no. it can look a little bit dirty. It needs a shower. Um, hey, it can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, it is a beautiful, compact little shrub, less than a metre. And I haven't pruned mine yet. It's been in for – it's actually been in for less than a year and it is a perfect little dome shrub. And every every node has a, a bunch of flowers on it at the moment and they're a beautiful white colour. Um, and it is absolutely stunning. I've got it growing in the garden in full sun, in the harshest spot in the garden, and it – it's blooming and it's loving life. And I put it in. I put it in my pa's garden because corries are also really good in shady areas, mm. shady, dry, dry shade. Yep. And my pa had a spot behind a wall, and he said, "I need something." So I got this corrie St Andrews, and it's flowering as well, and it is thriving, and that's in shade. So it's a complete contrast. I've got the plant in harsh, um, full sun, and it gets the really hot afternoon. Uh, sun yeah. and and it's in full shade as well. We get, get a little bit of morning sun in this other spot, but it's just it is a fantastic plant. It's a li- it's not common in in nurseries. You you might have to get your local nursery to order it in for you, but it is well worth it. And they're a fantastic little plant. So Coria alba St Andrews St Andrews form. form. What a thing! Yeah. yeah, it's a little shrub. The normal Coria alba is sort of a medium. A medium shrub it can sort of be 1.5 to 2 meters um but this one is it's less than a meter so okay. growing on the in st andrews would probably be thrashed by winds and and salt spray so it's really tough but the i mean it just, i would never have picked that as coria alba yeah I mean, it's, it's just so so it's so very different it looks like it's got maybe a little bit of coria pulchella in it too but i don't Possibly. know whether that grows down there don't know yeah 
I mean, Cory Albert, Cory Albert is pretty diverse. I mean, it is. Yeah. It, it's um, you know, you get some really uh, lots of variation within yep. the species. You know, really big ones, and, and there's know, a few ground flat, covers. Little, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, almost completely prostrate. Yeah. Prostrate ones. Um, okay. They make a, they make a good cup of tea too. The foliage. Do they? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Coria Alba tea is really quite nice. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Something else to try. Yeah, right? it is. <laughs> we must go to our uh, our first caller. We have uh, Janice out in East Malvern. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Um, first of all, John, congratulations on your scholarship. Oh, thank you very much. Great news. What concerns me about your project, which probably I'm sure you're more than aware of, is the own ongoing. Um, conservation priorities of particularly local councils in their gardens. How do you ensure that into the future those rare and threatened species are going to be cared for when you know sometimes council funding doesn't always put their botanic gardens at the top of their priority list? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, the, the, the One of the issues with our many of our regional botanic gardens is that they are Funded by local governments, exactly, and and you know, um, local government. I mean, local government does an amazing job of providing a whole range of services to communities, and and botanic gardens are up against a whole range of really compelling other priorities that that, that local government services have to provide for. Um, so, yeah, it, the funding can be patchy, and I think that's where. In a botanic garden sense, I think that's where friends groups really come into their own. Um, you well, know, I, you know, and I know in a lot of because I've been involved with friends group with the Melbourne Friends and also with the Association of Friends for many years. Terrific. And I'm very aware of the sorts of issues that local friends groups face with their um, management bodies, whether it's the local council in some areas, it's not necessarily so, but it's to get, continue that funding to protect rare and threatened species that uh, I'm really just wondering how you're going to address that. It's, it's interesting that there was, a, there was a real, at the inaugural Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand conference in Geelong in 2003, uh, again a, a few years ago, there was a talk given by Brian O'Neill and he, he basically said that if botanic gardens are in the business of fundraising, they're in the wrong business. That if botanic gardens should be really in the business of friend raising. Because if botanic gardens have, have, are doing relevant things and doing some interesting work which is valued by their constituent communities, the funds will come. The funds will they'll, 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 they'll come as a product of botanic gardens doing relevant things and... I think um, I probably heard the same talk, and he said, "If you get the people hooked emotionally, funds will follow." Funds will follow, <laughs> yeah. So, so, if, so, th- I, I, I honestly do believe that um, for regional botanic gardens and for botanic gardens generally, um, you, you know, local governments aren't going to aren't going to continue to fund at a high level botanic gardens who are irrelevant to their communities. So, it really, is about botanic gardens building relevance and building layers. And I think this potential for the conservation collection is to add another layer of value um, to regional botanic gardens. Um, it, it just it's just more justification for funding to be um, consistently applied across the board. I mean, the, the Geelong Botanic Gardens, we had a purple patch um, 
when we were constructing the 21st century garden. Oh, and we had this absolutely be- wonderful. <laughs> we had this beautiful alignment between the community who were, were really wanting change to happen through the Friends Group. Um, the, the city of Geelong, you know, at, at the time really realised the potential for Botanic Gardens to be... Um, it was really about tourism. It was about bringing people into town and... Um, you know, sort of redefining and uh, redefining Geelong from a industrial to a remarkable potential tourist destination, and you know staff. So we had staff wanting change, the community wanting change, and the management of council backing it. And you know we achieved some some phenomenal things with that with the, with that mix. Um, that's the challenge is to is to is to uh, create that environment. But I think. Fundamentally, if botanic gardens are doing relevant things and if they are engaging their communities in meaningful ways, the funding will just be a product of that. Well, I hope so because I know the sorts of battles that some friends groups have had to... And, and when you think of what happened in Geelong, their friends group really sort of were the instigators of getting all that on the road. Um, and... Um, uh, you know, fronting the commissioner when a commissioner was appointed Indeed. and doing all sorts of things to to get the wheels turning so that you ended up with people like yourself and um can't think of the fellow's name who was in charge of the parks and gardens down there. Rob Small. Rob Small, that's right. And um, But it, it took a very strong group to get that all sort of those fields moving in the right direction so that that happened and then you achieved with all that wonderful support that you had right through council, etc., you know, you achieved a fantastic result. But I just fear for some of those gardens because unless you've got a very strong group to push it along, um, you know, the will's not always there when council budgets are being done and so forth. It, 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 it really, I think you're right, Um uh, but I think again, that's the strength of the friends group is to is to have those battles and and you know win win those battles. That certainly, the, what what happened at Geelong would never have happened if it weren't for um, the, the the friends group and and possibly a, a handful of really influential people that were associated with the group at the time. That's right. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. But I think I mentioned earlier that there is a direct correlation between botanic gardens that are doing good things and a, and a supportive and cohesive friends group. The, the friends, the, the, the really, I think I mentioned earlier that that botanic garden 150th project, the, the Melbourne Gardens distributed plants across um, Victoria. The, the, they distribute plants across the, the Victoria to regional botanic gardens, but it was contingent on the gardens that were receiving the plants. Um, establishing a friends group um, in support of in, in support of the the gardens, and really the the the, the in, that initial function for friends groups and it and it's changed and, and evolved, but the original function and I'm going to use a little bit of language here was to keep the bastards honest. <laughs> that was really the function of a friends group. It was community watchdog role. Um, friends group knew, knew about that <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know it's it's kind of evolved uh, and that's got, that's a kind of an adversarial model and you know that's I don't believe that that's the best model for, for, for friends groups I think that when when collaboration is happening uh, I think that's when some fantastic things can happen but it is a role of, of regional botanic gardens friends group is to is to be community watchdogs and to keep an eye on and to ensure that you know um, the adequate level of resources are being applied 
and, and Melton is a fantastic example of if you've got a really strong friends group, um, what can be achieved. Phenom- yes, yep. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. yep, phenomenal. And there's, you know, there's. I think there's a few other examples of that. There's a, a new garden which is happening at Shepparton, and that's, you know, really been driven by um, the community. But interestingly, the the um, one of the big drivers of, of of that garden is is also on council. So that's right. Is, is, I is remember having her speak on one occasion about yeah. it, and fantastic plans. Um, and uh, but no, I'm just concerned. I'm just have some concerns about how you're going to ensure the ongoing conservation of those plants when, yeah. they're, the, you know, when they're such special plants. The other thing, um, so what we're really not wanting to do is to set regional gardens up to fail. Um, so, uh, you know, we've, I think I mentioned I did a, we've, we've done a, a, an analysis of the, the threatened flora. Um, plants that are going to uh, do really well in regional botanic gardens with limited resources are things that uh, are men- a, they're amenable to cultivation. And so we, we've, we've kind of scored um, plants f- based on their suitability for regional botanic gardens and things that are really attractive, quite easy to grow and long-lived are, are scoring higher than things that are that are um, really exacting in their requirements and yeah. shortly then we're going to require a lot of inputs. So I think we're trying to build into these con- into these conservation collections a fair bit of resilience. Well, that's fantastic. And good luck with it because it's a marvellous project. Thanks, Janice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully engaged in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in good hands with John too. He's very committed. Uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful and very exciting. And... Um, you know, I just hope that always into the future, those uh, local councils, municipal councils will really cherish what they've got because uh, it's vital for us all. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Yep. Good okay. on you. Thanks, Janice. Okay. Thank Bye. And another good reason for friends groups to get to know their local councillors and yep. invite them into yes. the gardens. Yep, exactly. And, and Yep. Come to meetings yep. and, and particularly pre-election time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is. Uh, look, it's it, uh, local government. It's, it, it is a bit of a popularity contest, isn't it? It is, it is about doing relevant things in order to do relevant things, and you know, you're, you're not going to get voted back in if you're irrelevant, are you? No. That's exactly right. So, you know, build relevance. Yes. And and if if your community deems you to be really um, important yep. um, in their local environment, important for their own health and well-being, yep. they want to see the garden survive. Yep. And, and they will, in turn, also put pressure on, on councillors yep. to make sure it does continue and the funding continues. And I think our understanding of the importance of gardens is, you know, through uh, the millennium drought and things like that, when our gardens really were run down and looked yes. very tired. And, yes. you know, I think I think we learnt a lot from that. Mm. I think we learnt, the, you know, that we... That, our gardens, they're more than just green spaces. Absolutely. They're sanctuaries. They're, yep. I mean, they're just important on so many levels. That's right. Social, environmental, potentially economic. Educational. Educational. Because more and more some of these um, botanic gardens are working closely with local schools Indeed. too. Indeed, yep. So, I mean, it's yep. just – and that's another way of reaching out into the community. Indeed. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're hubs. Botanic gardens are hubs. They are hubs. Yeah. Mm. They're, totally. com- they're community hubs. Yep. yep. Excellent. Okay, we must get to our next caller. We have uh, Lisbeth down in Frankston. Good morning, Lisbeth, and thanks for waiting. You there? 
Elizabeth? Oh dear, we might have lost her. I'll just pop her back on hold and see if we can get her back. Um, we'll go next to our good friend Ken out in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. I'm very excited this morning listening to your wonderful program and especially um, things that I do and, and trying to grow um, what's Indigenous to the area. Oh, good on you. That's I fantastic. It's important that the, the Indigenous gardens like Newport, Fairfield and other places that we should be going there to buy plants and, and even if you've putting a whole heap of other plants to keep to keep Australian plants alive and what's indigenous to the area, I think that's a, another place to uh, do it, encourage um, uh, people to go and buy the and plant in their garden. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you? You're out, out of West, Keith? I live in, I live in Sunshine and, um, and uh, I, I'm starting to grow just what's indigenous to the area. And um, the orchids have got me very excited. I'm going to be try. I'd, I'd love to be able to buy some. And but that, that those community gardens like Newport and Fairfield and that um, we might be able to get them there. I hope. But um, it's important to uh, to grow them and a certain amount in every garden. Yeah, there was the uh, when the Society for Australian Plants first started up. I think their byline was preservation through cultivation. Yep. Yes. And it was about, you know, that conservation through through cultivation thing, you know, conserving plants through growing them. I think it's a really important mm. thing that you point to. There, and Ken. there's a lot of good, and we're talking about regional botanic gardens, but like what Ken was saying, there's a lot of good local indigenous community nurseries that are out there, yep. you know, just growing things that, that grow in the local reserves that have yep. been left around. And um, it's it's really encouraging, isn't it? It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. And we should be. I'll, and I'll go after this. For example, I I I um, out the back there's a uh, we port for reserve and uh, we got one. And all people should be um, going to their councils and um, and working with them. And if they don't do what the community want them to do, to stand up and make them do it. That's yeah, you right. Bet. Um, I planted all the, uh, about 30 indigenous trees out the back of my place and uh, that are indigenous to the area and I, plant, I, I water them for a year once a week and I don't water them anymore and they're coming on fantastic. Mm. And you look oh, out, good on you. Backyard and sit there, you look as, feel as though you're in a forest. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, thanks very much. I love thanks, your program. Hey, good on you, Ken. You thanks very much, mate. Bye. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good day, Pam. Um, I've got a species geranium that I've never planted and I, I'm wondering if it's an, um, an indigenous plant. It has little pink flowers. It, um, it's, an, it's heyday during the winter and lasts right through uh, till early summer, midsummer, and then it dies off. And um, but it really protects the um, open areas of the ground, you know, during that time. It's sounding like it, it could be the, the foliage. Is the foliage um, uh, quite like, divided? It's like a little sun, you know. It's sort of rounded, but yep. it's serrated all around. Yep. But rounded serrations, yep. not pointed serrations. Yeah, that's sounding like um, one of the. And there's a bunch of them, native um, uh, geraniums. Right, I couldn't find it in in my Australian natives book. Have a have a look up geranium solanderi. 
um, which is S O L. Solanderai. No, as, so, as, as in, in Solan. Ah, yeah, okay. uh, no, Solanderai, as in s- Solander, the the botanist. So S O L A N D E R. Solanderai. Okay, yeah. Thank you. So have have a look at that. It, it, it's it's there's a bunch of things that look a little bit like geranium Solanderai. I tend to just group them under the okay, the thanks. native geranium badge, but it, it sounds quite feasible that you've mm. got a, a native geranium. Some of them do die back to a perennial rootstock and, um, you know, particularly over the summer. Yes, it, it spreads to about, I don't know, um, 15 centimetres, something like that, in a circle and yep. very pretty. And how big are the flowers? Uh, the, flower, the flowers would be a half a centimetre or less. Yep, that, third that, of a centimetre, I'd say. Mm. That would be consistent yeah, with... Like um, and a, a, a bright pink. Yeah, mm. beautiful, pure, um, cheery pink, I'd call it. Thank you. Yeah, good on you. Can I also say that Karen Sutherland Smith's coming to the Herb Society on Thursday evening, the 2nd of June. Right. Um, we, we meet at 7.30 onwards, but people are advised to come, you know, 7.20. And she's going to talk about edible, unusual edible plants, including Australian plants. Right. Excellent. And um, I've bought... A whole lot of um, four salt bushes and a lemon pepper small tree mm-hmm. and the warrigal greens, all from series in um, North um, in uh, Eight Lee Street in Brunswick. Right, oh, fantastic! Right. And I've also got um, a little orchid and quite a few other things. Oh, including the um, the soft leaved. Um, I suppose you can call it pig face, but it's Caprobratus. Carpobrotus. Yeah, Carpobrotus. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. And so, you know, I bought them last um, September and they're still flourishing. Mm. Just yeah. be careful where you plant your warrigal greens because they can go feral. I've got it in a mm. big pot, a yes, very generous that's a good pot. idea, yeah. good idea. And as it gets bigger, I put it in a bigger pot. Right, yes. No, I wouldn't put it directly out into the garden because it'll take off on you. Oh, will it? Oh, well. Uh, Nothing ever happens... to that extent in East Malvern. You know, oh, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Not yeah. in 40 years. Okay, good <laughs> too on dry, that. too sandy, despite composting forever. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Cheer up. Right, next up we have, let me see, we have uh, Lee who's down in Merricks. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, panel. The questions haven't been coming thick and fast this morning, I notice. Everybody right. must be under control. <laughs> I think they've all We've been had too a good busy chat. listening to John. <laughs> I uh, had the pleasure of going to the Royal Botanic Gardens recently with the Red Hill Garden Show. We had a stroll around in the sunshine. It was absolutely spectacular. One of the things we really admired was the Cebus speciosa by the restaurant, by the lake there. Yep. All right. Mm. It was in full flower. Just beautiful, it's stunning trunk. <clears throat> so I came home, I've got a gum tree, a very scruffy gum tree here that's being threatened for some time and I think it's going to go in favour of a Cebus speciosa, which I've called. <laughs> was, the, was, the was the trunk all gnarly and yes, yes, prickly? Yes, and... and really interesting. It yeah. looked like something on the back of a crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, they are extraordinary. And I've sourced them from a nursery in Lara. Okay, okay excellent. before I travel all the way from the Mornington Peninsula to Lara and back just to get a small tree. Yeah. Um, will it survive down here? Will it do all right down here? Yeah. We're on Sandy Loam, I suppose. We're up on my hill by Red Hill there. They'll, they'll yeah. do, they'll do oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it will be fine. They'll do well. Yeah. Like I so said, they're, they're, they're growing quite well at the, um, at the Volcano Project. 
Um, there's a couple at the zoo, I there's think. There's quite the a few pets. at the yeah. zoo. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, it's a very spectacular tree, I must say. The next question is it's fairly close to my septic system. Uh, do we know anything about how aggressive a root structure would be over a period? Oh, look, I think those trees that tend to have those swollen storage trunks, like brachychitans, it's similar to a, you know, it's similar, it's different to a brachychitan, but it has some similar attributes. They don't tend to have, you know, big aggressive root systems. Mm. They, um, because they're, you know, they, they do store a fair bit of, um, reserves in their starchy trunks. So those, 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 those things do, don't tend to have aggressive root systems, I wouldn't think. Thank you very much. The project goes on. Okay, good. <laughs> good on you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, next up we have uh, Mary out in Clifton Hill. Good morning, Mary. Oh, good morning. Good morning, panel. Morning. Good morning, John. Morning. John, we're, I'm longing to see a ginkgo, and I thought it might be too late, but you sort of raised my hopes by saying that there was one that might still be... Golden in the Dandenong? Yep, at the William Ricketts Sanctuary. Oh, right, huh? Right down the very, very, very base. Uh, there's a gorgeous little lake uh, and a, a beautiful ginkgo that's been there for some time. So it might be approaching 100 years old or it's, it's a very old tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's in such a protected spot at the bottom of a gully... Um, you know, those winds don't tend to, to, to really knock it around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd be, oh, I'd be, I'd this be, weekend. I'd be backing it in, I'd, <laughs> this weekend, I'd be backing in that it's still got foliage, mm. uh, and that it's still got lots of foliage, and the foliage would be, would be butter yellow and beautiful. Mm. But that, but I'm, I'm, I don't know that. I'm, no, surmi- really I'm surmising that. Sure, but I'm just wondering, would, is there any chance the Geelong one would still? No, the Geelong one will have dropped. Would have dropped. Yeah, that Geelong one would have dropped. Yeah, that that that. I mean, ginkgos do go late. They're the they're, they're the latest to colour up in the last um, amongst the last of the things to to drop. Uh, you know, there's a few oaks and things like that that are still green. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, this ginkgo because of its its location at the at the bottom of the hill in in the gully, it's it's really quite protected. Oh, thanks, John, because I hear such lovely tales of the ginkgos in Japan. You know, mm. and how spectacular they are, and I can't get to Japan. Do you, have you seen the ginkgo at Geelong? No. Oh, really? Okay, so um, it, it, it's worth the trip to the Geelong Botanic Gardens just to see this particular ginkgo. I, I, I think it's one of the great ginkgos. I think it's the best ginkgo in, in cultivation in Australia. Um, it, it's a particular form that has um, aerial roots, or, or, or they're called truncheons, um, and it is just a remarkable looking tree. Oh, look, thank you so much, everybody, and thank you for all you do. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, John, we were asked um, by one of the listeners if we could mention again when the garden tours were on at um, down at Burnley Gardens today. Yes, and I'm just looking that up. I think it is at 11... So Burnley Gardens plant sale and guided tours from 11am and 2pm. So there's tours at 11am 11 11 and 2pm Okay. At, at Burnley. Excellent. All right, we've, uh, oh dear, what have we done? Oh, I think it's just going to be Eucalyptus Greg's, Gregoriensis, <laughs> yes. Roger. Okay, well, let's go to Roger and find out. What have uh, we done, Roger? I could be a few things. No, I just, I, met, I heard John mention uh, to go to the William Ricketts Sanctuary for the Ginkgo, and I know he meant Nicholas. Garden. Oh, so I did, Roger. That's all right. So I, I did. That, that poor lady might be heading to, to the, the wrong place. So the wrong place. 
So oh. I need, sorry. We're uh, so lucky we've got you listening, <laughs> yeah, Roger. Right. So Mary in Clifton Hill, yes. don't go to William Ricketts. <laughs> no, go to the Nicholas Memorial Gardens. That's right. Yes. No, good, good. No, well, I wasn't going to be on the phone. I just rang in and and uh, all of a sudden I'm on air. <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep hiding under a, a no, bushel. Right. Hey, Rog, what do you know about eucalyptus gregoriensis? Yeah, that's uh, named after the the Gregory National Park, yep. which I think uh, Virginia mentioned. Yep. And it, it was um, collected. But they went up there tracing a, a Mueller expedition back in uh, the celebrating 150 years of the garden, I think. Or might have been a bit later. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, and that's where they found it. And they've, and it's grown quite well outside the uh, the visitor centre yeah. it's at, a, it, at, at Melbourne. It's a Mallee, Rog? Uh, no, no, it's not a Mallee. It'll go up and... Uh, to be a, a tree, okay. but, uh, but there's a few there's a few plants in the gardens there that uh, the Melbourne Gardens, so they've, they've done pretty well. And uh, you are uh, Gregsoniana that was named after uh, people called the Gregsons who were up in the, the high country, I think. And that used to be was that Eucalyptus porciflora subspecies? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. You know, so it uh, yeah. There's a few name changes happening, but yeah, they sort things out for us. Yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. All right, no, just one thing, and I, I wasn't able to listen to all the, all the show, but um, did Chloe mention a book fest down at Cranbourne coming up on Queen's birthday weekend? No, she oh, we haven't got around to it yet, Roger. Oh, that, that's, that's all right. I'll see you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See you later. <laughs> see you, Roger. <laughs> I better talk about this. You book had better mention it. I don't want to let Roger Elliott down. No. Um, so another part of our, uh, yeah. one of the other activities and events that that the friends of Cranbourne have, we've got the annual book fest. We get a lot of donations of books yeah. from various organisations and various people, and we get an overflow sometimes. We have a library, but the library is overflowing. So we've got book fest 2016. It's on. It's it's open to. Friends, members, and members of the public on the Queen's birthday weekend. So is that the 11th to the 13th of June? Yes, that's correct. So in in a couple of weeks' time, look, there's there's books on gardening, natural history, um, whatever else that you know that comes under that gardening horticulture umbrella. Um, propagating. There's there's environmental stuff as environmental, well. Environmental. That's yeah, what I was looking yeah. for. So. And I mean, some books fifty cents, some books are twenty dollars. It just depends, you know, what we've what we've priced it up. But we've mm. got we'll have a huge range of books. It's up in the auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne on the Queen's Birthday weekend. Um, there's been quite a few people that have spent a lot of time putting it all together and sorting through all the books recently. So um, if you know, come down, have a look at the Australian Garden, yeah. and, and have a wander around, get a coffee, and and come and and buy some books. So there's usually a few little. Um, nuggets of gold there <laughs> yeah, that people there find. So, really yeah. Uh, and do you know that. what times that's going to be running from? Good question. It's from 10am till 4pm. So really, it'll be each day of each that day. long weekend that, that the gardens are open, that Bookfest will be on. And there's signs. There'll be signs from the car park and the visitor centre. And the auditorium is just underneath the visitor centre. Yes. So it's easy to find. Okay. And lots of welcoming faces for anyone that comes along. And you can join to be a friend too if you to want. Friend. We've got membership. So we, we'd love to see everyone down there. Beauty. Yeah. Wonderful.
Excellent. Now, please, Roger Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Did yes. a good job. Well <laughs> Excellent. Um, while we're just waiting for another call to come through, we, we do only have uh, five minutes left, but... Um, did you bring in anything else we haven't managed to mention yet? One more plant I okay. brought in, and it looks like nothing special at the moment, but it has the most beautiful smelling foliage. Mm. It's the lemon-scented tea tree, uh, Leptospermum petersonii, and you crush – I mean, let's all have a crush. Yeah, crush good. the leaves and smell crush them on your hands the because they're just – you brush past it. It's oh, on our driveway, beautiful. so I walk past it all the time, and it's just beautiful. beautiful. Our, the, Stunning. And we've actually – we prune it with the hedge trimmer. Nice. Um, it was sort of hanging over the driveway a few years ago and, oh, what do we want, you know, cut this quickly. So pulled the hedge trimmer out and just, you know, prune it. It's, a, it's actually – it's a really nice plant to hedge. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite dense and, you know, we, we prune it quite heavily just once a year when it, you know, it starts hanging over the driveway a bit too much. It does sacrifice the flowering a little bit mm. and that might be – that might have to do with the time of year that I do it as well. Sure. But the, the top flowers, we don't really cut the top off. So we let the top flower because they get beautiful white flowers in summer, summer, John. That's it, yeah. And, um, and the smell. It's just it's something that you sort of grow for the smell, isn't it? Yeah. They do have nice bark, kind of flaky bark. Nice bark, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Leptosperm and Petersonii. It's, it's, it's a nice small tree if you let it go. It's got quite a nice habit. It can be a little bit weepy. Yeah. But... Um, yeah. So a nice small tree if you let it go and you can clip it to a hedge if you want to yeah. control it. Yeah. Keep it in, the, in the, check. The plant we've got at the moment is probably two and a half, two to two and a half metres high and it's it's an old plant. It, it's been in there for, you know, we've got it as a tube stock from, you know, from a local nursery years and years ago and it's been transplanted once and it, you know, continue to survive, and, and now it, now it's a hedge. Transplanted after how many years? A little maybe while? five wow, years. Wow, it's good or effort. Something. Well done. Yeah. yeah, and it was probably just like we wouldn't have done it very carefully. It would have just <laughs> ripped it out. I'm, I'm not going to claim any. It's a survivor. Any, it is a survivor. I'm not going to claim like oh, I'm a very good transplanter. <laughs> and we just ripped it out and moved it because it was in the wrong spot. So and it you know and put it up near the driveway. So it, yeah, it's it's a tough old plant, isn't it? It is a tough old plant. <laughs> But yeah, they've got a they've got beautiful scented foliage. All those lemon scented plants are just yes, beautiful. Yes, they're the, lovely, aren't they? The lemon myrtle and I yes. mean even lemon verbena is quite nice. Yeah, mm. not looking at natives. So, mm. Yeah. And you mentioned this does have a flower. It does. It's got a quite a showy white flower. Right. Um, in summer, like it, it, the typical tea tree, tea tree flower, flower, I yes. suppose, yep. little cup yes. and and quite yep. showy petals. Yeah. Oval petals. Yeah. On nice them. thing. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We've pretty much run out of time again um we'll just see if we can quickly take this call um we have adam who's out in heathmont are you there adam hello yes yes look we've only got a a minute no worries um i'm looking for a screening or shrub plants that i can grow underneath a conifer something that might uh, because it's in the front garden i need to sort of block out the street we um Corriers, some some of those corriers will take that competition and, and yep. a little bit of shade if they're the, they're, some of them would be the right size. Some of the Corrier alba forms would Corrier be okay. Alba. And yep. if you want something that gets a little bit taller, there's Corrier lorenziana, the mountain Corrier, be good. Okay, that yep. gets a bit taller as well depending on the height that you want. Okay. okay. And what about plaque transfers? Is that something that might... Yes. Might, might give you the height that you need to, yeah. to do effective screening. Okay, yep. yep. Okay, no. we must much. go. Bye. 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 Uh, a big thank you, but of course the message for today is 
Go to a botanic garden. <laughs> That's right. The inaugural botanic gardens open day. Absolutely. A big thank you to all the team on air and to Virginia and Liz who've been handling the phone calls. Of course, uh, we'll be back again next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now.